0: then Billy wrote a letter to the Ilium News Leader, which the paper published. It described the creatures from Trofamador. The letter said that they were two feet high and green and shaped like plumber's friends. Their suction cups were on the ground, and their shafts, which were extremely flexible, usually pointed to the sky. At the top of each shaft was a little hand with a green eye in its palm. The creatures were friendly, and they could see in four dimensions. They pitied earthlings for being able to see only three. They had many wonderful things to teach earthlings, especially about time. Billy promised to tell what some of those wonderful things were in his next letter. thing. Alright, so um, this is our final Palooza. This is actually an unplanned Palooza, but it is uh, and well let's face it, it's probably not the final. But um, we're talking about Slaughterhouse Five, the um, and, and actually the we would be myself And Vanamond. And Vanamond, yes, thank you. Um, and thank you for picking up your cue there Van You know we're recording. <laughs> I'm, sure,
1: I'm sure I'll miss future ones. <laughs>
0: Well, we're recording this late at night, and, you know, this, I'm not going to want to do a whole lot of editing. So, you know, no, no screw-ups and um, no dead air. See, like that, you know, you miss your cue totally. <laughs> All right, I'm kidding. So so we're here to talk about Slaughterhouse-Five, and um, I think probably the best way to go is, is for you. Why don't you give us uh, – well, just for starters, why don't you talk about um, talk about the story, you know, the book and the film – and actually, I'll, I'll I'll say one thing is that this book is actually blessedly spoiler free. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, the way it, the way it's structured, you pretty much know everything that's going to happen, and there really is not a whole lot to spoil. So, um, so with that, um, I, that's how I'd like us to start. Maybe can you tell us? Well, um, I,
1: just, I mean, I'll, I'll just keep this brief. I mean, basically, it's about a, a guy. Billy Pilgrim, who as it says in the beginning, is unstuck in time, and throughout the book it would see what happens to him in his life as he jumps between different different parts of his life. So basically the book is like this like a sort of story of his life, but not in strictly chronological order.
0: Right. And that holds true for the film too. Um uh...
1: I mean, I, I mean, the, if you read about it, they say it's a part of, like he's trying to put what I got, putting like experience in Dresden in, and you know, um, I don't know how to sort of say it. It's it's, it, it's a book. It's a strange book in the sense because there's no real heroes. The the, the main protagonist is very passive. He just lets things happen because he knows what's going to happen, so he just lets things happen. He doesn't try to sort of change anything. Right. He just he just you know he keeps just going backwards and forwards in his life.
0: Right. And uh, and yeah and and again you know the book and the film are uh, they really it's one of the most faithful.
1: Yeah, I, film I, felt, adaptations. I felt like saying We should say, if Ridley Scott off Chance of Ridley Scott to listen to this. This is how you do a book adaptation.
0: Um, except the Billy Pilgrim, I think he was a replicant. I think that's <laughs> that was the story. Wait, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, now, how did you experience? How? Uh, what's been your experience with this book uh, and and the film? Did you see? Did you see the film first, or did you read the book first? Or
1: I saw the film first. It was like I think in the eighties. It was eighties or seventies. It was like a short sort of sci-fi series, and um, this was one of the films in the series. I watched it. So sort I of just thought, thought it was weird because of the jumping in time and everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, never thought much about it. And then much later, it must have been about at least 20 years, I saw the book in the library. I mean, I'd read about, like, you know, when you read books about sci-fi criticism and, and about history of sci-fi, I'd, I'd heard about Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, but I'd never read the book because he was just one of those authors that passed me by. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I got it in uh, maybe in the nineties, and I, re- I was reading the book and I thought, bloody I that film was faithful to this book," yeah. and it just all sort of came flushing back, and I said, "And I just thought, wow, just wow, it's it's, I mean, some things I've, I've I've forgotten. I've forgotten that they don't say so it goes' in the move in the movie."
0: Well, well of course, it's, right, but yeah. you don't you don't see the aliens and uh, right, and they don't say say so it goes.' Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I think probably because the aliens in the book look a bit silly anyway. Uh, (laughs) Right. I mean, I'm not even sure what a plumber's friend is, but, I mean, they look a bit silly. So, I mean, I think, you know, (laughs) in the saving the budget, they did a good job with making them invisible, wasn't it?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think that was, especially considering the film was made in 1971 or 72, I think that that was a good call on George Roy Hill as the director. I think it was a good call on his part to not try to show a bunch of, Alien plungers, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's a little bit silly. It was still a little bit silly. I mean, it was, it was a little bit reminiscent of of God in uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," just kind of this this booming, you know, voice voice talking over. But, um, but you know, I, there's no way to pull that off and not make it silly. Um, yeah. I, I'll tell you really quickly my experience, and then we can go on um, talking about you know, the relevant stuff in the story, and and actually just today, through perfect timing, I guess you'd call it kismet, would you call it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned some news. Um, there's actually news right t- today that's been announced about Slaughterhouse-Five, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that. Right. Um, see, there's this is a teaser. So uh. I ac- I had actually seen it. Um, I'd seen the film first, uh, just caught it at a friend's house, and, you know, it came on, I, I don't know if it came on, I don't know how it came on, but it came on. And he said, "Oh, this is a great movie." So I watched it, and I really did think it was a great movie. Um, not long after that, I sought out the book and I read it. And actually, at the time, now granted, yeah, I was I was probably about twenty, maybe not even, maybe still a teenager. And at the time, I thought, "Wow, this is one of the rare cases where the movie's better than the book." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I, I I reread the book actually this year, and I've re- <laughs> I've seen the movie a couple of times since then. And and I've I've kind of reversed that. I, I still I think the book. Touches on, of course you know the book touches on many brilliant things but I still stand by what I said just earlier even even earlier you know I think it's one of the best film adaptations I've ever ever seen of a book and yeah um, you know I with you on one and I think I think a lot of that you know of course the everything the production and the directing but I think a lot of credit goes to and I can't think of the guy's name I, I should look it up while we're talking but the actor does an amazing job of conveying all of the stages of Billy Pilgrim's life I mean he's you know a goofy gawky young kid in World War II and then the same actor you know just with a little bit of makeup and 1972 makeup it does an amazing job of being a middle-aged kind of henpecked yeah kind of defeated guy and then even being like an elderly kind of guy who's kind of kind of come to peace you know, this kooky elderly guy and it's the same actor he does' an amazing yeah. convincing uh, I don't think I can't think of another performance. That has done that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that has a lot to do with what what makes the film so successful.
1: I mean, I, guess, I mean, I mentioned the passive. I mean, in the, there's a slight difference in the film because he tries to stop the airplane from crashing, doesn't
0: he? Yes.
1: Which, which, which way in the book he's completely passive. He just accepts things for what they are. But I think that's one the, like the slight differences in the film where he tries to stop the airplane, even though it's a fruitless task.
0: Yes, that's right. And that is that's a pretty major difference because you know, he um he has the Tralfamadorian attitude by that point in his life. Um yeah. where it's just, it's just like, well, people die and and so it goes. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which um and actually we should explain that in the book. It's almost done to a maddening repetition where Yeah. I think hundred and
1: sixteen or something on Wikipedia. Oh, <laughs> uh, has
0: been counted right. <laughs> yeah. Basically the Tralfamadorians are the are the alien race who uh who you know, if they even exist, they abduct the main character and they, they show him kind of that time is not really a sequence of events, that it's all happening at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, whenever they say, hear about someone dying, to them that's just one point in that person's existence, you know, so death isn't the, just this tragic end, it's just, oh, well, of course, you know, they died, but at the same time they're being born, at the same time they're they're doing every moment of their life.
1: Yeah, I think which, which works nicely if you have, like, a full life. But I think it, must, it would would be a bit of a pisser if you, only, you know, if you died young or whatever,
0: you know. Well, right. There are a lot of issues, yeah. actually, with Tralfamadorian philosophy. Um, but, you know, of course, they. but any time a death is mentioned in the in the book, as you said, uh, you know, Wikipedia counts 116 or something. But every time a death is mentioned, he says, so it goes. Because that's yeah. what the Tralfamadorians say. Whenever they hear about somebody dying or something dying, they say, so it goes. Um, which... You know, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it says that on Kurt Vonnegut's something about Kurt Vonnegut's death when he died a few years ago. I'm sure, <laughs> sure the phrase good. was uttered. Um. So, um. So anyway, so I I highly recommend both the book and the film. And of course, yep. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut is considered one of the great novelists of the 20th century. You know, and, and his books are great reading. Anyway, I mean, I've only read. I haven't read all through his catalog a whole lot, but um, that's another thing. I understand. Have you read much of his stuff? Have you seen? Because apparently the Tralfamadorians appear in other stuff of his. Uh,
1: I, the only one I've read is um, is it Ice Nine?
0: Um, yeah, that's. Oh, catch,
1: crad- catch Cradle. Is Ice Nine and Catch Cradle? Right. I can't remember which one it is. It's the one with the with the water sort of the was it some um, compound like turns all the water into ice at room temperature.
0: I do not have a browser open, so I can't look at this moment. <laughs> um,
1: I don't know why that's, ca- I don't, um, but ice nine is a compound that destroys the world because someone releases it and it turns all of the world's water into ice, uh, a solid.
0: You see, you're you're exposing my ignorance. Um, <laughs> I've only read uh, Breakfast of Champions uh, uh, and uh, and Slaughterhouse Five. Of course, Breakfast of Champions is Kilgore Trout. Yes. Yes. Um, and of course the used car sales. Okay. Um, so well let's talk with let's um, let's talk about trialfamadorian philosophy a little bit. Um, actually before we get to that, I want to throw out there also that this book, of course there are science fiction y elements, but really the strong argument could be made that none of the science fiction things actually happen. That really in fact I mean Vonnegut never Makes a distinction, and that's that's the right thing to do. But it's it, um, real, you know. Really, as a, a, an interpretation of it, you can say that none of that ever really happened. Just Billy Pil- Pilgrim um, went crazy and yeah. believed, you know, that the this gorgeous actress was transported with him to be his his lover on this alien planet. Um, you know, that really that's that's the most logical conclusion is just that that he really just lost lost his marbles and that's that's kind of how it happened of course you know as i said Kurt Vonnegut never says so you can choose any interpretation you want but that would be yeah so i mean but if you go that why route, would it
1: be the Bush logical though, jack why would um I mean, if you accepted as a science fiction novel aliens wouldn't be a big deal so why would you why would you say it was a logical
0: well you know even it's just it's Seems very convenient, you know. That's the starlet that he, you know, the, the beautiful Hollywood starlet that mm. he kind of, you know, has a little thing for. Happens to be the one who's, uh, who's taken. Yeah, and, and I know you can you can go all the way with it. You can say the child Fiam- Fiam- were aware of his interest in her, and that's why they chose her to be his, yeah. his his companion. Because um,
1: just try to he just tried to muddy the waters later on in the back end of the novel, where he starts sort of giving some indications that he could just be making it up. Because sort of you know things seem. I can't remember exactly it, it was, but I, I, when, when I was rereading it, I thought like he's he's trying to like muddy the waters because he's sort of giving some indication that maybe the guy is mad, and he's just re, he's, he's sort of putting in things that he's seen in his life, and he's putting them in like like the actress disappearing and things like
0: that. Right, right, and and I don't think he's implying that the actress is like, you know tied up in his basement or uh, or something no, no, like that. No, no,
1: but like, the, like the, so he's like you know he knows he knows the actress has vanished, so he's put that into his world view. and you know so there's there's some attempt. But yeah, I mean you can see it either way you want it, doesn't it? You can you know it, it, it works either way, doesn't it?
0: Exactly. That's why I said you know I would hate to have. I, I'm pretty sure that Kurt Vonnegut would have been would have bristled at the. Uh, at the question. But, you know, I'm, if you asked him, Hey, was he crazy or was that real? I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have given you a straight answer. And, and, I'm, <laughs> and I, I think that, as I said, I think that's the right way. I would hate for someone to have, you know, the, the definitive, you know, it's kind of like the, is Deckard a replicant or not? It, I'd hate to I'm right
1: I break this conversation until I'm walking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. All right. Back to, uh, but back to Slaughterhouse-Five. So, um, so the key things, like I said, the key things I wanted to touch on, and I don't want to do all the talking, but the key things I wanted to touch on, of course, are Dresden, um, yeah. which is a big, a huge, huge part of of the story, um, and um, and Trafamadorian philosophy. Awesome.
1: Very fatalistic?
0: Yes. Uh, well, right.
1: There's no free will, is it? I mean, it's just to them, since they know everything, going to, what's going to happen. Well, they don't see any point to do anything other than what happens.
0: Right, they kind of chuckle at the, the human notion of free will. Yeah.
1: I think it's mentioned, isn't it, when they visited so many parrots, <laughs> it's only on Earth that they're going
0: about free will. Right, right, we're the only sentient species. And now what, what, a, what a brilliant little juxtaposition in the book is that a couple of times the serenity serenity prayer comes up, which is a neat little contrast to the Tralfamadorian view because it's kind of, you know, grant me the, you know, the the wherewithal to to deal with the shit that's happening around me that's my condensed version of the serenity prayer um, but you know that's kind of interesting when you compare that with how they see everything because they also they they kind of say like if bad stuff happens just just ignore it just pretend it's not happening because and maybe from their view that's that's a healthy way of looking at it but of course you know the human linear time frame you can't really just kind of say like oh this horrible thing isn't really didn't really happen. Well, let's just yeah. move on and, and let, oh, let's look at this pretty picture of a of a clown. Mm-hmm. Pretend- well, I
1: suppose because if, if you know what's going to what's going to be yeah. the outcome, you're not going to be anxious because you know what's going to happen,
0: right? I suppose
1: um, it's because we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we can sort of get get anxious about things,
0: right? Well, and even you know unpleasant things in, in history. I mean, of course, it is painful for you know for people to to relive traumatic events um yeah. you know and and that's not the sort of thing as the child form- would say you know just when bad things happen just don't think about them i mean that's that's not really as linear people that's not really something we are able to do um, mm-hmm. but you know i mean maybe it can be argued that there's a that you have partially have to do with do that i mean of course you can't you can't dwell on that that trauma you have to kind of you know, you have, you have to fit. Yes, you do have to move on from it in, to some degree. Um, I so think that's
1: where problems. if you cannot move on, that's when you start having problems. But uh, that's, another, that's another story.
0: Right. But of course, you know, it, it helps to be unstuck in time. Um, <laughs> yes.
1: Well, the thing is, I mean, I, I, I didn't find that a problem in this novel. That he's saw so passive Um I read the I can't remember the name of the author's name. Um, never let me go where they made it a film and all about the clones where they they make the clones for to, to kill them later on by taking the, the organs out for for the the originals pupil. It's never let me go, I think, isn't it never? Have you yeah. ever
0: seen it? I've not seen it or read it. I'm pretty sure ah. the same Japanese author who did um Norwegian Wood, I think.
1: Yes, I think it is. And um and they were very passive just accepting the fate, which annoyed the hell out of me. I mean, <laughs> but um this one, it didn't. I mean, I, don't, I suppose because he because he knows what's going to happen. He even knows how he's going to die, which you find out later in the book. And right. it it it's just, uh, I don't know, I just uh, didn't find this one annoying at all. Um, because really, I mean, it is both the film and the book. He just doesn't fight anything, does he? He just left everything happen around him. This is not like your typical protagonist in a, a genre novel. that you know? <laughs>
0: Right, he's certainly not the strapping hero with the ripped shirt and the you know the the pomade forelock. Uh, you know he he and you're right. He kind of um that's I think that's part of what drives Paul Lazaro. You know Paul Lazaro is uh, the American troop. You know who I guess we should uh, we should talk a little bit about the bug. But Paul Lazaro is the American troop who's who's you know just all action and kind of a psychotic and kind of a psychopath. Um, yeah, kind of twi- you know sick in the head. Of
1: you only you only hear his stories. You don't really know whether it's just someone mouthing off. I mean, it isn't until he kills him at the end that you like you, you think, oh well, he must he must have been saying why his actions, you know, why he's been actions why he's claimed in the past, you know.
0: Right, and then again, that's actually not a classic Vanaman spoiler, uh, everyone, because that's actually yeah. as we said, this book is basically spoiler free, and, and it's established pretty early on. I don't remember where in the book, but you know, that's again, that's not a Vanaman spoiler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but
1: well, I think in the book he goes to this place which is like purple or something with a, a loud buzzing noise, and um, he's not even sure he's there, and then he sort of goes back. I don't know whether, because the narrator in the book is, I suppose, is not Billy Pilgrim. He's just describing Billy Pilgrim's life,
0: well, right? And actually, he, um, the narrator does say at certain points he throws he puts himself in the book and says, I, you know, I was on that train with Billy. Yeah, Because because I, we should touch on, you know, the the major event in Billy Pilgrim's life, and, of course, it would apparently be in Kurt Vonnegut's life, was the bombing of Dresden. Um, Billy Pilgrim, you know, as you said, it goes through his life. We see him be elected president of the Lions Club, and we see him an old man who's kind of become a famous public speaker, talking about, you know, the non-linearity of time and Tralf Amadorians. But... And we see some shots of his of his young childhood of of his yeah. dad throwing him in naked into the deep end of the pool yeah, and just almost drowned right but we also the major point of his life we also see his wedding to you know yeah. and his uh, but we see lots of points throughout his life but um the major event of his life is being an American prisoner of war in Germany in the civilian city of Dresden and you know and, and of course I think Vonnegut's point is about how um, you know there aren't really how it's not really as cut and dry as we'd like to make it think where there where the there's good guys and bad guys and that's just it and we just you know the good guys kill the bad guys and that's it because we talked about how Dresden was an absolutely just a 100% civilian city that was bombed was annihilated and you know according to Vonnegut's numbers, numbers the, the the death toll was worse than in Japan worse than Hiroshima. Um, I think
1: that's been, I think that's been discredited now, and I think the the going on towards like it's still a lot of people, like twenty five thousand or something, or thirty thousand people, and not, you know, not the figure quoted in the book. Um, But I mean, the the city was like almost totally destroyed, and uh, so that's that's a fact. And um, yeah, yes, it was it was a civilian city, yeah, which had avoided getting bombed till very late in the war.
0: Right and that's not, right it was the very end of the war and it was a completely civilian city um um you know and and that's and so that's Vonnegut again i guess was a witness to it and of and um and of course so his character Billy Pilgrim was there and yeah and you know he's traumatized by it obviously and you know apparently it had a a traumatizing effect on Vonnegut who of course is a, a very well known pacifist but right Billy Pilgrim is devastated by it he sees Edgar Derby, you know, the kindly old school teacher who's there with him as a prisoner of war, who is, you know, just brutally shot, you know, over yeah. something very trivial. And, again, it, this is established very early on that this is going to happen. And, and he's they also... Do a better,
1: they, they do a better job in the film because in the film, I mean, the boobies tried and executed. Where the film, they just shoot him. And then they just chuck away the, the, the portion of the doll that right. he had taken to me. You
0: know and, Right, and you you get one little hint that you could miss it if you're not paying attention that Edgar Derby's going to die. Otherwise, if you're not, you know, if you're not kind of really, really attentive, you'll miss that point and be and be surprised when he dies in the film. But yeah, yeah, the book it's in the book is
1: it's 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 uh, what's it what's it called? It's it's he tells he says he's going to die near the beginning of the book, doesn't
0: he? Yeah, very right in the beginning, and he's always (laughs) described as poor old Edgar Derby who's going to (laughs) die. So I guess that's a spoiler for we just did put out a spoiler. Someone's only going to watch the movie, but you know that's I like guess sorry.
1: Um, <laughs> hey, I was 1971. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> that's a good point too. Yeah, it's little, um,
0: but it's so anyway. It, I think that's of course is what's huge. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, I, when, uh, riding just riding the train into New York, into New York, I was talking to a girl from from Dresden, and uh, she was saying how you know the city's really beautiful because it's you know, and it's been rebuilt, but yet, you know, there's a combination. Of, there are still sections of the city that were untouched. That are, mm. so you got the old beauty, and then you got this beautiful new city. Um, so that's, I've never been there myself, but, you know, it's kind of, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if you've made know, it down he was,
1: he was, he was almost, I don't know, he, he compares it to an American city, doesn't he, when he goes, the narrator, when he goes back. So he's, it's almost like, I don't know, not as complimentary in the book. I, I don't know, almost like damning with faint praise. Like I don't know, what, I can't remember what city he said it was like. What because the narrator goes back, to Disney with a friend of his?
0: And right, that's an, in the, that's actually there's an interesting part in the beginning of the book. Is that what you're talking about? When, yeah,
1: uh, you know the bit where the narrator's talking before the, before we introduced to Billy Pilgrim, right? And he says he goes back to Dresden and he compares he compares it to an American city.
0: You know, I vaguely remember that, but I'm glad you brought that up because the, the beginning of the book is very interesting. It's not a, it, it's kind of like a forward, but it's not. I mean, the book has started, and you you don't meet the main character. It's basically just the author talking to you and telling you, telling you how the book came about, um, yeah. which is interesting. You know that, right? He talks about contacting an old war buddy and going to his house, and how the guy's wife was kind of cold to him.
1: Um, yeah, that's where he sort of claims that you know it's not going to be a hero story. It's all you know, it's it's it's, it's you know, it's not it's going to be like about young kids fighting in the war,
0: right? Exactly. It's not,
1: be, it's not going to be like a, a pro war book. It's going to be um, just telling them how it was sort of thing.
0: Right, right. Because she was, you know, and it came out that that's why she was grumpy because she thought it was going to be this John Wayne bullshit, and uh, yeah. and he came back and said, no, I. I then he promised her it would be called the Children's Crusade, which is why the mm. full title is Slaughterhouse Five or the Children's Crusade.
1: Yeah, and it even sort of because Billy Pilgrim receives a call at the, which is which is from the narrator, isn't it in the book? Because he has that says he has that bad habit of getting up but like not being able to sleep and just calling somebody. That's they, right. Billy Pilgrim, so he puts himself in. That's another way he puts himself in a novel because you sort of <laughs> <laughs> you know you rings Billy Pilgrim. So
0: yeah, that's you know I you're right. I had not thought about that. That's um that is a good point. Um, now I guess for, if you have not yet, again, I know we we've told you about the book, but again, all this stuff is established. You're basically kind of experiencing these things non-linearly. Um, yeah. And it's actually kind of the movie and the book kind of do a neat job of really like almost mid paragraph he'll be talking about himself walking walking you know, or doing doing something in nineteen sixty and then like almost the next paragraph suddenly he's in nineteen forty um, yeah and you know, the I mean, movie, that
1: was, for me that was the first time I'd actually seen a film. I mean, because Quentin Town, later they're on everything where with, with things are sort of not in the thing. But that was the first time where I saw a film where I thought, bloody hell, what's going on here? Because it's just all over the place,
0: you know? Right, right. And I, they did, I, that was definitely the first time I'd ever seen it done that way in a film. And, and actually, you know, Pulp Fiction famously does that, But he, and maybe was even influenced by, by Slaughterhouse-Five in that way. But but Slaughterhouse-Five, I think, does it to a point. I mean, then that's the point of the movie, that it just it jumps from... From place to place and time to time. Um, Right,
1: because I I think like you sort of because it's I don't it's not in that it start the movie starts where the same it's later in the book when his daughter finds him alone in the house. But I think the the movie starts with that, doesn't it? So the the they are like not they have jumbled up the sequence compared to the book.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, exactly. It's it's not it's not a page by page, you know, faithful adaptation. It's not yeah. like, you know, the first Harry Potter film is actually probably the single most faithful book to film I've ever seen. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost almost note perfect and it's almost too perfect, you know, was the complaint. But, yeah. um, alright, this film, I mean, it, it captures the spirit and it does a really good job. I know Vern, Vonnegut himself was quoted saying that, you know, he can't watch the film without cackling wildly because he was <laughs> he loved it so much. Um, and actually that, I only have two more points to make and I, I don't want to Take all your your you know. I want you to, to have all the time to say what you have to say too. Um, but that does get me to point point number one is that uh, the news that I learned today is that Guillermo del Toro is talking about remake. Well, i uh, re, doing a, a new adaptation of the book. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't know. I, um, I, I I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, <laughs> really? what I mean, I mean other, uh, yeah. Well, other than I suppose you can make the spaceship better. You still can't make the aliens better (laughs) unless you just a complete redesign of them. The aliens are still going to be a bit silly. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, I mean, it's one of these few things where you think, well, how can you improve the film? I mean, you can improve the special effects and everything. But, like, I don't know, how can you... I I mean, I won't stop them making it if I think it's going to make money. But, um, you know, you think, how can I improve the film, really, you know?
0: Well, I certainly uh, hope it's the Pan's Labyrinth Guillermo and not the Hellboy Guillermo. But, <laughs> um, but you're right. No, I'd agree. You'd have to just basically say this is it's another another go at it. Um, mm. I don't think you're gonna as a, as you said. I mean, having a bunch of sentient pl- um, plungers walking around talking is gonna it's gonna look ridiculous no matter how good your special effects are. You're right. Um, I don't. Also, as I said, I think the actor again. I'm doing him discredit because I'm not. Remembering his name, but yeah. I don't. I don't think you're going to get a better performance. And also, you know, how can you beat Miss Tesmacher Tess- Miss as Montana Wildcat? <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was a strong point of the movie.
1: Well, I mean, it's. It I mean, uh, uh, I know. It's just that the story is very. Some. It's. I mean, I don't know. If you sort of, if you put the story in a, its proper, sort of <laughs> linear fashion. It's, like, it's not a very complicated story. Right. Which I suppose, better for Hollywood anyway. Um, you know, so I don't know. It was, I mean, it, I think Wikipedia mentioned that he was trying to do it from 2011. So, and then he got held up by other projects. So, um, we'll see what happens sort of thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you know, right. Well, I and, mean, of course, he's famously um, someone who has 25 different ambitious projects going on at the same time. So, this one may never come. To fruition, um, but uh, no, I I would trust him in with it. But again, I, I don't think it's kind of like kind of like a Superman thing, you know. Which is, again, we that brings us back to Miss <laughs> Um You know, you you know, you can do a good job that can stand alongside of the original, but you're really not going to replace the original. No. Um, I, and, I mean,
1: it we be interested to see what his take on it. But I mean, at the end, it's it's such an un. I mean, it's such an own Hollywood film, really, isn't it? Because it's, the characters are passive, um, things just sort of happen, and there's no sort of like victory at the end or anything. I mean, you just get the impression that you're going to be doing this for eternity,
0: right? Until you know, until he dies, and and so it goes. Yeah. Um, well actually not until he dies that's right he dies
1: no no because I mean you just keep, if, it just goes back on and on and on and as I said I mean that's good if you that's from, that that was the point that, they're not, that bothered me about the novel when I was reading it and of course it's it, because you're writing a novel you, you make the character interesting or, you, or whatever and so I mean it's good if you had an in life but I mean can you imagine being stuck in a loop if you only lived to five or something well even,
0: even less or something you're just stuck in a constant loop you know right I yeah think- yeah, I'm sure that's not a popular book, you know, in, in prisons. Um, so, <laughs> well, exactly. yeah. so So I think I, I think I've said pretty much my piece on it. I mean, I, I strongly recommend both the book and the film. Of course, I recommend Vonnegut. You know, I recommend what I've read of Vonnegut has, has been really brilliant, and also he doesn't, you know, he's such a non-traditional guy. I mean, he's he he's someone who clearly, you know. Understands the book and it mastered mastered the rules of writing and then threw them all out the window, but successfully, (laughs) you know, not not kind of like uh, William S. Burroughs. Well, I know he's successful at it, but you know that's yeah, you know that's um
1: yeah, because I mean it's it's I suppose the only thing really weird about the novels, I think I was trying to which I I failed to make in earlier was that it's basically aside (laughs) how to say it's like it's. What we had about it is that it's not linear. But really, right. it's nothing sort of complex. There's no sort of, like, you know, nothing sort of mind-blowing concepts and everything, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, he, he's born, he, he he gets the experience, and then he goes through his life as an autonomous And then he gets kidnapped by aliens, and then sort of, you know, he starts going backwards and forwards in time. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not like a sort of mind-bending novel, that's other than that, though, all out order.
0: Well, I mean, his life is Billy Pilgrim's life is interesting. I mean, you're right; it's 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 sort of a he's sort of and you know becomes mundane suburban suburban guy. But um, but of course, you know, being witness to Dresden is pretty pretty incredible. But you're right; I mean, it's still you know he kind of courts mon, a mundane life, and but but I think. Well, the things that, that make the novel so unique and bizarre are, of cor- are as you said, I mean, nothing is really, I've, I've ever seen anything play with the structure like that. And, of course, Breakfast of Champions also has this, Vonnegut's little doodles. Um, you know, if you go through, you'll see little, this one doesn't have as many Breakfast of Champions is, is littered with his little doodle drawings. Um, but, you know, there's some some Vonnegut's doodle drawings will, will appear throughout. You know, you're just reading text, and then you turn the page, and there's, you know, a, like a, a rudimentary picture of of well, at the very end of the book, in fact, there's Montana Wild Hacks boobs with the uh, yes. <laughs> with the Serenity Prayer on a locket between them, um, and you know it's not a, a professional artist drawing; it's just kind of a guy's, you know, an amateur artist's rendering. Drawing <laughs> boobs, <laughs> right? So, and you know, boobs is always probably a good place to end. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up, but if you have any any final thoughts, then I, 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 yeah, sorry sorry Jack finish first. No, I'm just I'm just, I'm I'm all set. If you have any final thoughts, then then go ahead. Right uh, I ahead. mean
1: I, I, as I said, I mean I, I'd have to agree with you. Um, the both got, the fellow and the book are good. I know nobody took us up on the offer, but the radio adaptations good as well. I don't know whether you got round to listening to it or not. The uh... the BBC one. Oh no, I haven't. So yeah, yeah. I, sh-
0: I should listen. I to mean, that.
1: that's that's pretty faithful. I mean, it it just seems to take like l- big heaps of the dialogue from the book and everything. So, and it, it does have the narrator at the beginning of the um, drama. So, um, so the, well, it's well worth checking out. It's a short book. If you just want to read the book, I mean, it's it's not like um, it's not like a Robert Jordan book. You know, <laughs> you can read, you could read it in one night. It's not that um, thing. Um, I think you know, I made the point about what I thought about. You know that um, I just don't have a problem with the fatalism in this book. It just seems to work. You know, there's no, as I said, there's no sort of uh, he doesn't, he doesn't change anything. He's completely passive. You're just experiencing his life. You know the way the author describes in, in like non in linear fashion, and. Um, but it it just works and it works well and it works well in the film and I have no problems with everything it's just if, if nobody's if you haven't if you haven't went through life without ever seen both of them try to rectify it because they really are worth watching and reading
0: all right yeah I, I can't top that all right well thanks uh, thanks so much for kind of um making this happen van you know i'm glad we did this it's been A bit of a slug, hasn't it? <laughs> well yeah no you know we've had some difficulty but that's been uh at least as much my fault as yours probably more but um but we've made it happen now and, and as i said i'm glad we did this because it's you know i'll miss lots of things about deadpan when when we kind of hang up the uh the microphone but um you know I certainly will miss palooza's and you know as, as i said maybe Maybe we will find ways to kind of make those happen as a as a special thing, every, you know, once oh, or twice a year.
1: Just to get me to, work, to watch things and,
0: and yeah. Things. <laughs> all right, well there you go. There's uh, there's there's some flickering lights in the future, because um, um, you know, unlike Trafamadorians, we can't really see the the future. All right, well, thanks, man. Well, thanks I've for without without
1: mentioning the German name. Thank goodness for that.
0: That's right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't <laughs> break you over the coals for that. Um, all right. Well, I'll say schlacht funf. Show off. Alright, good night, good night Van. Thanks. Good night.